so it's um, it's Sunday, the seventeenth of April, and it's the morning, and um, it's the second day of Howl Festival two thousand sixteen. Um, and I'm sitting with Kevin Lowe, designer, community activist, professor, um, many other hats. Uh, we're about to head down to the second day of the activist art fair, but we've been recording these short um, exchanges with the people behind the Howl Festival. Um, so how you doing, Kev? What's up? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, the weather seems to have broken just for the festival, so I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm great. Yeah, it's, it, it is like one of those Montreal weekends where you remember what it's like to be alive. <laughs> Why the hell are we here? Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> um, yeah, so on to serious matters. Well, the weather's pretty serious in this place. But um, anyways, so we're recording these exchanges as a way to s sort of try to share some of the ideas um, that are driving the people who are putting this thing together because it's really put together with, you know, love and not a lot of resources. So you've worked in design for many years, radical design, uh, community activism. What are some of the ideas that have propelled um, Howl Festival for you and and some of the, the ideas that are pushing, um, that are being pushed by this process that, that you feel are important in terms of art, activism, design, the city, etc.? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's not specifically about the festival, but more just our collaboration um, as Howl and the events that we've put on in the past and the things that we've done. Um, and so I think there's, you know, when I think about art and sort of, you know, art and quote-unquote activism, mm -hmm. um, it always comes down to a few things of, you know, sort of identity, community, and, mm -hmm. and resistance. Uh, and those are the sort of... those three things work very, very much hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I feel that throughout the entire process of Howl, not just the, the festival that we've done for the last three years, but, mm -hmm. you know, all the concerts we were doing before yeah. that and all the events we were doing before that, um, for me, it really brought me into, I think, um, a community um, of of diverse groups, but uh, into various, maybe I should say, uh, into various communities, but within a larger sort of idea of an activist Montreal community, mm -hmm. um, an artistic Montreal community. And I think it's necessary to do these events and to create this artwork and mm -hmm. to have these conversations in order to sustain that community, mm -hmm. in order for that community to resist. So mm -hmm. I feel it's a very, um, in some ways, very simple thing in that things things need to be sustained. There needs to be the, the construction of a sort of uh, critical institutional memory um, mm. and uh, for people that are existing within sort of maybe a marginal context uh, mm. within this world to, to, to you know, to reinforce their identity by by creating artwork, by communicating, um, by circulating, by taking up space um, mm. and also in supporting the institutions that, um, you know, uh, uh, allow for that alternative space. Mm. Can you expand on that that importance uh, for you of of taking up space and what that means in terms of the art art world? I mean, that could be music, that could be visual mm -hmm. art, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not really making a drawing a line between these different practices. Obviously, some in some sides, Howell has been more of a music festival, and other ways we've looked at it more during you know during the strike. I think when we did a series of occupations and, and literally physically taking up space to support the student strike. So I think that was a very clear example of taking up space, um, quite literally. Um, but on another level, I think it's 
uh, you know, as as a group of I would say generally marginalized people for various reasons of, of class, race, um, just politics. Um, there's a real difficulty within working within an institutional context, um, and so um, you kind of got to, you know, as sort of punk rocks idea of just doing it yourself and this is what we've done for you know god knows how many years um so yeah i mean i i think that's a really basic idea is just that it, you don't want to be erased off the face of the surf by like capitalism so you got to do something about it mm-hmm. i mean you've been working on visual identity for these processes uh uh not just how but many other projects, uh, artivistic, uh, you're working with Articula Gallery now, um, during the student strike, um, uh, against the tuition hike in Quebec, um, anti-capitalist struggles, uh, I mean, you, you, you put such a focus on visualizing a lot of what you were just talking about, so I'm wondering if you could, you could talk a bit about that process for you of trying to to visualize and and define some of those ideas through you know like a lot of people talk about visual identity you know and and i i know that's a big thing in 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 the sort of corporate design world but you've really applied that to the sort of radical uh yeah maybe we should close that there's a big truck outside (laughs) Uh, to the to the to the sort of radical um, uh, organizing process. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the the term in you know traditional graphic design circles would be branding, which okay. I you know, um, and uh, it's something I've studied very very much. Um, at the same time, it's not a term that I'm really comfortable with using. Mm-hmm. Um, it claims ownership. It claims. Uh, you know, a lot of things. I mean, it's literally about branding, which comes from, you know, when you used to burn your insignia into a cow, you know, to claim that it was yours, right? You're branding it. So, obviously, I'm not very that's comfortable with... That's brand. where, yeah, that's where the term branding comes oh, from, no is from branding your property, you know, your your living property. Um, so, it's a very violent term, so I don't like to use it very much, um, although the concepts around it are still valuable in some ways. So, I, I tend to think of it more as a visual identity, though it's not just visual. It's obviously in how people communicate in the way that people organize. All these mm-hmm. sorts of things are part of the sort of the the identity of an organization or of a group of people or mm-hmm. of uh, movement mm-hmm. um, and the politics behind it. So I think there's a few things that I think about when I'm working on it. First of all, there's just a you know a level of expression and wherever I'm at in my own life. So I tend to try and bring mm-hmm. myself into it um, and and to be very transparent about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in order for it to be successful. Um, my own engagement needs to be on a at least quite basically real level. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I'm mm-hmm. doing an identity for a pet store, which I've just recently done, or or not pet store, sorry, a veter- veterinary clinic. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's better, right? Yeah, yeah pet stores, no, sorry, I've been to veterinary clinic. Um, <laughs> or if I'm, you know, working on Howl right. Project, I need to be connected at least in some way. So there's my own interact, my own re- position in relationship to what it is that I'm doing that's very important. Um, on the other level, I think it's also understanding sort of a, a longer tradition of sort of militant visual communication um, and trying to keep um, those traditions alive by not 
necessarily repeating them because I think that's the problem is that we think of, you know, maybe um, a lot of the sort of cliches uh, within activist circles I've talked a lot about um, before and other things, you know, like fists in the air or whatnot, but... In terms of visual? In terms of visual visual identity of what yeah. what does the left look like? What does an anarchist look like? What does, you know, sure. all these things form kind of cliches and stereotypes into our head. Mm-hmm. And I think though some of that on a symbolic level is necessary to hold on to, it also needs to be evolving in the same way that our spaces need to be evolving in order to stay alive. Um, so that's that's basically my thinking, is thinking of design as a sort of as a language, uh, as a language that evolves over time, and as a language that has roots in various communities, but mm-hmm. also evolves through the conversations you have with others and from a very, you know, mm-hmm. intersectional perspective, which is a lot of what I think we try to do with Howl, you mm-hmm. know, is to bring many different communities together mm-hmm. um, in interaction. It doesn't always work, but that's, that's I think, a, mm-hmm. a strong goal of it. So I feel I try to do that um, through the design as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting what you're talking about, about the changing visual identity and, and not being static. And it brings up sort of conceptions of, like, activist art and what it should be. And, you know, and sometimes, like, mainstream narratives sort of fixate on, like, specific visual language from like ni- the 1970s or punk punk culture um you know and it's a very often limited reference point or palette of reference points to like the UK the United States you know it's not it's not a, a global reference point and and you know it seems like ch- challenging those sort of um frameworks of of visual identity also brings up the 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 question of um creating spaces that are not exclusionary to um, other experiences uh, in terms of uh, people from all over the world, in terms of different cultural identities. Yeah, and it's a real challenge for me, to be honest. I mean, I may be Chinese, but at the same time, my my visual education was, you know, entirely Occidental, entirely Mm -hmm. Western, um, you know, largely driven by by the Dutch, the British, and the Americans. Uh, (laughs) You know, Um, at the same time, it's not something that I can I can deny, and Mm -hmm. and there's definitely value there. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's it's not a oh, I'm not gonna use the language of the colonizers in that sense because mm. it's how can you escape it, you know? So it is a challenge. It's something I think about a lot. Mm. Um, but I also need to be, you know, honest with, with where my place is in the world mm. and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living in that world, you know? Mm. At the same time, I think mm. it's not, you know, I think that idea of, like, ownership is problematic. Not that I'm not engaged in very serious identity politics in a lot of the work that I do, but the idea of, of mm. you know, um, how am I going to say this in the right way? But I think mm. it's 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 a constant dialogue and knowing where you're speaking from, and I think that's a really mm. important thing to to always keep in mind. So not to number one speak for others, mm. but then also to acknowledge the sort of conflicted place that most people living on you know Turtle Island and uh, this place we call North America um, have to have a very complex relationship to. You know, if you're not indigenous, you're not from here. So we all have. Uh, immigrant or immigrant narratives to speak to and we also have um sort of uh powers that we need to like power structures that we need to speak against so there's there's sort of yeah there's a lot of complex things in there um i'm not really sure if i'm answering the question right well those are huge topics and i mean it's like sort of things that we've addressed in different events that we'll continue addressing Uh, there's a panel discussion next weekend as part of the festival 
next Sunday. Um, yourself, uh, Frida Gutman, Sarah Mangle, and Cam Camille uh, from uh, Decolonizing Street Art. Um, so I guess, you know, we just, I mean, these issues come up throughout the events. Uh, maybe just, a, you know, in terms of this particular conversation, I'm wondering if you could just talk a bit about the, the poster for this year um, and um, sort of the, uh, some of the ideas behind it. Uh, people always talk about the Howl posters. It's like <laughs> a big thing for a lot of people. I just, this morning, there was a few people who mentioned on the bus I was coming down on the 80. Uh, and I ran into a few people, and they're like, "This Howl Festival poster is so amazing, you know." But so, what are some of the ideas behind the the, the design and the graphics? Sure. Um, I mean, oh, it's really nice to hear. Number one, I mean, yeah. I'm still people flattered keep, when people people, people like my work. As, as, yeah. You know, as much as I've been doing this, is always nice to hear. Um, I think there's an evolution in terms of, again, throughout the last few years of what we've done with Howl visually um, for the festival specifically, mm. um, and my own interest, again, sort of tying mm. together. So there's always been a touch of gold and a touch of bling um, that I've tried to bring to, to Howl. And that's sort of, I think, you know, that's sort of my, my challenge to, to, I guess, what traditional, or not traditional, but um, stereotypical activist art is supposed to look like. Mm. Um, so... I, I, I think, you know, our pictures of what engage, an engaged human life, you know, um, politically looks like is, is completely twisted in both ends of the spectrum, you know, from what politicians act like to what, you know, radical anarchists are supposed to look like. Um, so there's always been a desire to sort of change and evolve that language, like I've said. At the same time, on very concrete levels, there's traditions that I'm carrying forth um, so specifically with this poster, um, it's a very simple poster, um, and I wanted it to be simple. I wanted it to be very graphic and striking. Um, but specifically, there's uh, two typefaces that are being uh, used or, or created um, on this poster. So there's one for the actual statement of the howl, but there's also the secondary one, which is, um, you know, uh, the uh, typefaces to with the informational content. Um, the howl, large howl type is uh is sort of inspired by um UK uh CND peace uh anti-nuclear activists from the 60s mm -hmm. um and uh, I can't remember the designer's name right now unfortunately it's too early in the morning <laughs> but so that was a, a reference point that I'd been looking at for a while and really wanting to sort of bring back and it's sort of a language that's changed over the years and I wanted to sort of Reinscribe it. I also wanted it to be really large and almost abstract because uh, to go back with this idea of taking up space, I think um, before in some ways, and I think it was important, we're always, when we were doing other Howl events, we were always foregrounding, you know, um, the artist involves but not necessarily the organization as much. Howl mm -hmm. is a signature for some of these things. And mm -hmm. so given the amount of work that, you know, you've put in, that I've put in, that we've all put in over the years, um, I, yeah, I felt like being a bit louder and brasher about, about, mm -hmm you know, Howl and uh, about claiming visual space literally in a, on a poster size. Um, so that's why the Howl logo or the Howl mark is, is so large is because, yeah, we deserve it. Um, the second uh, sort of typeface is actually a very contemporary, although also a historical reference, is a typeface that was designed by Sébastien Marchal called Commune. And he's been, uh, he's an activist graphic designer um, based in France. And he's been doing all the uh, graphic work for the, well, not all the graphic work, obviously, there's tons of people, but doing some very, very strong graphic work for the Nuit Debout stuff that's going on right right now. 
Um, so pro protesting the labor laws, there's been some some massive uh, protests going on in, in, in Paris and in France generally. And uh, he had actually been drafting this sort of set of typefaces based on, a, again, going back to historical references. Um, and he just released this publicly. And uh, so uh, I wanted to basically tie sort of past conflicts with, you know, contemporary conflicts. Mm -hmm. And then the other main element is obviously just a huge blingy gold uh, circle. And, um, you know, again, from a graphic standpoint, it works, but also it's, it's again, this idea of claiming space, um, taking up thing, you know, taking up this, the, the size of the poster, um, and, and uh, also have adding a sort of level of sort of militancy to, mm. to, to things. So, I mean, there's a lot of different references. Mm. Um, I don't expect people to understand that. That's not the point, you know? Like, uh, that, like I think that's, that's my, what I talk about, you know, the notion of language of design. We're talking about the grammar. When you talk with someone, you're not dissecting their grammar necessarily unless you're, you know, a racist and uh, trying to figure out why they're saying things in certain ways. But no, you're, you're you know, um, you're just listening to what they have to say. But the grammar and the, the speech and the patterns that, mm -hmm. that come in how, and the sounds that they're using are all tied to a history and a way of speaking, a way of understanding. So similarly with the design piece, I don't expect people to understand, oh, this is a reference to a typeface from the 60s. This is a reference from a typeface um, that's being designed in France. And this is a, you know, gold circle that's meant to claim that, you know, Howell has been too small for too long, and now we're we're, we're stepping it up a notch. Um, that's not what I expect people to to understand, but I expect them to hear hear the sounds of that, so to speak. Yeah, the sound. yeah, yeah. Kev, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man.